0: Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Your listeners know that our program is not about politics. It's about optimizing middle age, indeed, your whole second half of life. But from time to time, we take up topics that are vital to all Americans, including those of us in the middle. And one such issue is the future of the Affordable Care Act, known to most of us as Obamacare. And we all know that President Trump and the Republicans have vowed to revoke and replace Obamacare. But that raises the obvious question, one will discuss on today's program, replace it with what? And Republicans are kind of like the dog who every single morning chased the big school bus. And last November, the Republicans won the election. In effect, they caught the Obamacare bus. Now, what are they going to do with it? And most of us have heard the two sides to the debate. Without question, the Affordable Care Act is in trouble. It signed up fewer people than promised. And those opting out are the very same younger, healthier folks who are needed to keep the uh, program actuarially sound and in many parts of the U.S., insurers are abandoning the market due to financial losses. Millions of Americans remain uninsured and still lack access to affordable health care, and those covered in the individual markets face double-digit premium increases and deductibles hundreds of percent higher than before. On the other hand, Obamacare supporters point to significant advantages Uh, folks with serious even critical prior conditions can now obtain health insurance at prices they can afford and they aren't subject to lifetime coverage limits adult Adult children children can now remain hello excuse me I'm I'm sorry, Roy, you you cut out for about 10 seconds there. Oh, (laughs) I'm still here. Adult children can now remain on their parents' policies until age 26, helping them remain insured during their low-earning transition years, and government subsidies help the poorest Americans pay for health insurance they couldn't otherwise afford. Between Medicaid expansion and subsidized plans offered through insurance markets, Analysts estimate that 22 million Americans have gained health coverage, and the uninsured rate of 9% is at an all-time low. And supporters say Obamacare's problems can be fixed, but critics insist it's mortally wounded and should be euthanized. And the issue is important uh, enough that all of Americans should get involved, including us. Because today's health care consumes nearly one out of every five dollars in the American, American economy. And Obamacare's ultimate fate most certainly will impact your family's finances and mine. Uh, but uh, you and I are not healthcare experts, and the subject is so darn complex. So today, I've corralled a healthcare expert to <laughs> help answer the question, "What next?" And his name is Philip Romero, along with Randy Miller. He's co-authored a. 2016 book entitled Health Financing Without Deficits, Reform That Sidesteps Political Gridlock. Wow, could we make this required reading for the president and all members of Congress? (laughs) And uh, Philip Romero's background includes think tank economics, corporate strategy, and high-level policy. In the 1990s and again in 2005, he was chief economist to the governor of California. He's also served as executive director of the California Managed Healthcare Improvement Task Force and since 1999 has been a finance professor at the University of Oregon and served as dean of their business college from 1999 through 2004. He consults on competitiveness of states, industries, and companies. And hello, Professor, we're most honored to have you on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Thank you, Roy. And didn't my mother write write a nice introduction? Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's begin with the background. Why has the cost of health care become such a challenge in the U.S.? Over the past several years, health costs have grown more than twice as fast as incomes. And what are some of the major contributing factors? Behind this cost escalation? Yeah, you're absolutely right to start with the with the background. You, know, you
1: can't get to define the problem before you can start to talk sensibly about solutions. Yeah. And you're right to define it in terms of cost. Um, and that's something that the Obama administration did not do. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, um, health costs, health spending has been rising at more than twice the rate of income, three or four times the rate of inflation wow. for my entire life, for all intents and yeah. purposes. Uh, um, so much so that the health sector is now about one sixth of the total economy, and it's pretty soon going to be one fifth. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, nobody knows when when the machine just breaks, but we got to be pretty darn close.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there, I see fundamentally two main contributing factors. I see. One that Democrats will love, and one that Republicans will love, or one that uh, agree with, and one one the other side will agree with. Yes. Yeah. Republicans love the fact that um, since World War II, most health spending has been, has been paid for through insurance companies, ultimately yeah. by health insurance premiums.
0: Yeah. That's
1: called third-party pay, payment. Yeah. And what that means is that consumers don't see them as having very much skin in the game themselves. <laughs> That's you know, very uh, true. <laughs> uh, uh, an example that we use in the book is, let's say you were shopping for a car, and you got, had no information about comparative quality of the cars. Yeah. Uh, you had no information about prices. And, by the way, you were only paying 5 or 10% of the price anyway. Yeah. So how
0: hard would you shop for, for the best value? Yeah. Years um, ago, when we had a, like a policy with a, I think a $500 deductible or something like that, we were a lot uh, less likely to go to the doctor than <laughs> when we have coverage from a company that... Uh, has zero deductible or a very minor deductible.
1: Yeah, exactly, Because and that's precisely one of the things that deductibles and co-pays are intended to do. They're intended to take what's a pretty dysfunctional uh, approach, which I just described, yeah. and try to introduce some, uh, have patients try to act like consumers to some degree. So Republicans would agree with what I just said, that third-party payment uh, basically prevents the market from working the way it should. Uh, Democrats would argue, I think also justifiably, so that's what I'll call as an economist a demand-side problem, because it inflates demand. It means that demand just
0: grows uh, continuously. It's also because we don't take care of ourselves, and we're overweight, and we don't exercise, and eat right, and you know, there's a number of things on that side. Yeah, and so, and some of that is is um, yeah, is
1: encouraged by the health system, and some of it is just tel- yeah. is totally independent. Like for example, yeah. you know, uh, p- people who live in suburbs and natural on cars to get everywhere. Yeah, uh, and don't walk anymore. Yeah. Um So that's that's as I said, it's kind of a demand side problem. Yeah. On the yeah. supply side, the problem is that is that over time, the various parts of the, of the, health, of the health industrial complex, yeah. insurance companies, medical practices, hospitals, have each, to use a corporate strategy term, consolidated, yeah. by which I mean where once there were dozens of companies actually competing with each other, they're very often only a handful. Yeah. And in some small markets, none at all. Yeah. And you know full well that when there's less competition, there's less pressure to keep prices down and quality up. Yeah, uh, um, and again, Obamacare really didn't do very much on either of those. Yeah. And in particular, it's arguable that they actually, they actually at least quietly facilitated increasing consolidation among insurance companies. Yeah. There are now fewer health
0: insurers than there were before the ACA was passed. Yeah. Well, in promotion of your new book, Health Financing Without Deficits, you point out that both Democrats and Republicans have blind spots about health care. Can you give us a brief overview of these blind spots, first for the Democrats and then for the Republicans? Yeah, sure. uh, Given what
1: I just said, this won't be too surprising. Um, On the the Democratic side, the basic problem is that, and this is the core problem with with Obamacare, Yes. Democrats will say they're, they're, the uninsured rate is too high. The problem is to give people access to insurance. Yeah. What they do not what they do not acknowledge anyway is that the reason why insurance is unaffordable is because of the cost problem that I just, I just described a moment ago. Yeah. So their blind spot is a believe that magically if everybody has insurance, we solve solved the problem. Yeah. Well, the Obamacare roughly cut the uninsured rate in half, yeah. and we had not solved the problem at all. As yeah. your interaction said, it's actually gotten worse. Yeah. The the Republican blind spot is um, they've ne- you know and I'm a Republican myself but they've never met a market they didn't like. Yeah. They are convinced that that if you just uh, make sufficient if you, you, th- sorry they're they're convinced that uh, healthcare can will be a competitive marketplace if government just gets out of the way. Yeah. and the problem uh, is of course that as the industry is consolidated. Uh, um, it has become less and less competitive. Yeah, this, so we're uh, the Rehob- hard to clear as- idea.
0: Need to let the companies offer uh, insurance coverage across states, or you know, very <laughs> insurance. Yeah,
1: that, that and that's the, uh, that is likely to be part of any sort of Trump care plan. <laughs> I think it's a positive, That would be a positive development. But I, I won't, I won't overdo how you know, yeah. it, 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 it's important. It's useful, but it's not. A, it's by no means a complete solution by itself. But yeah, anything that increase really increases competition will be a good thing. Um, and evidence of this is that uh, if you look at the handful of procedures that are not covered by insurance, like yeah. the cosmetic surgery yeah. or LASIK surgery for eye surgery, which, yeah. which are both elective. In those cases, there is real
0: competition, and prices have gone down and the quality has gone up. But <laughs> for so the, the mass
1: majority of healthcare, that's not the case.
0: Yeah, that's so fascinating. Well, the Wall Street Journal in a February 7th editorial argued that despite its government subsidies, the defining failure of Obamacare is that too few people find its centrally planned insurance either affordable or valuable. Do you agree with the Republican Trump bet that more competitive markets will do a better job delivering coverage that people want and need? I guess you said to some degree they would, but probably not. Not well, a, no, uh, I'd I, I say it just a little bit differently, Roy. Yeah. Uh, more, more
1: competitive markets would certainly help. Yeah. Uh, I'm just skeptical that the primary mechanism for increasing competition that has been mooted thus far, which is what yeah. you mentioned a moment ago, which is allowing insurers to work over state lives, will be yeah. enough. I yeah.
0: think it's, uh, it's a it's a step, but I think it's a very small step. Yeah. Well, chapter thirteen of your book is titled "The Shadow of 2018." That sounds very ominous. What major <laughs> possible tipping point event do you uh, anticipate next year? Yeah. Well, actually, uh, good. I get. I, I guess I, I wrote a good title. I got
1: your attention. Uh, the uh, in the when the ACA was passed, the um, the writers. Uh, you know, bent themselves around like pretzels to <laughs> to design it in such a way that they could claim that it wouldn't add to the deficit. Yeah. And they did it basically by front loading a lot of the goodies like oh, yeah. like kids being able to stand their parents' policies till age twenty six yeah. uh and uh and other things. And they back loaded a lot of costs, like oh, several yeah. kinds of taxes. Uh-huh. And the tax in particular in twenty eighteen that was scheduled to come in 2018 was the so-called Cadillac tax, kind of like plan tax. What that said yeah. is, if you have an if you have an unusually expensive plan, then you are to have to pay an additional tax for it uh that went down very hard with Democrats because many of those plans are union plans, and obviously yes, union members of heavily for are Democrats uh, Congress last year after we published the book, Congress last year delayed that tax oh. uh I think it's
0: eventually going to be it's going to be eliminated entirely, but it's such an outrageous yeah. thing that um, you know your, nego- your union negotiated a great uh Plan for you, and then you have to pay tax on the top of it. it. Just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But um, the uh,
1: well, and and I I, I work a lot on, on pension issues also, and this comes yeah. up all the time with yeah. with pensions as well. But the uh, I mean, these taxes are are squarely in the crosshairs of Republicans in Congress. Yeah. They want to eliminate them, but then again, the issue becomes. You know, you, you can pick the AC apart piece by piece and get rid of the unpopular parts and keep the popular parts, but that's going to have major side effects, like substantial increases in the deficit.
0: Yeah, like, Trump uh, is
1: already planning a big tax cut and a big infrastructure yeah. spending plan. Um, yeah, we're, we're likely to be in serious deficit
0: debt-busting territory very soon. Yeah, that's for sure. You know that. Uh it's great to say, well, we're going to eliminate the requirement that everyone has to get insurance, including the young people that think they're uh, indestructible. But, uh, you know, if they do that, then the actuarial table goes all crazy because then all the sick and older people are the ones that are going to uh, line up. And on just insurance. on that subject, rail I'll so, say, yeah, I agree with you completely. And,
1: and of course, we've seen just the mirror image of that in you know, the last year or so, and you mentioned it in your introduction. Uh, the key for you know, the expansion of of number of people covered generally brought in sicker people yeah. uh, that 's what insurance call adverse selection yeah. and that 's what drives up the cost for everybody and that 's yeah. why deductibles have been rising and and premiums have been rising so rapidly yeah. and What I find amazing is that the insurers who have actuaries on staff couldn't have forecast that and priced things accordingly to begin with. Yeah. I'm guessing they did, and they
0: just deliberately low-balled, lowballed their prices to try to make sure the ACA got passed. Well, those of us in our mid to late 50s or early 60s are fast approaching Medicare eligibility, and uh, what is what you call the fiscal calamity of boomers is it is already, and you say it's already upon us. And what is the likely result? And why is Medicare not Social Security the truly scary retirement program? Oh, that's a terrific question. Um, uh, I,
1: I, I want to briefly plug an earlier book of mine, which goes into this in some detail. Oh. Um, it's called Your Macroeconomic Ad You have not seen it. It was published in 2012, oh. and it's specifically sort of a guide to the major. Public finance challenges that the developed world, especially the U.S., are going to face, yeah. and what they imply for people planning their retirement investments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the fiscal calamity is, of course, that um, life spans are getting longer, so yeah. therefore the the cost of uh, benefit programs like Social Security and Medicare are rising. Yeah. Uh, um, at the same time, birth rates have been low. And so yeah. the replacement workers, to replace the people who are retiring, are not are, you know, are not contributing nearly as so much. And that's precisely why, even though Social Security was nominally fixed in the 1980s, why it's uh, you know, why it's already running a deficit, yeah. operating, and will burn through its entire trust fund within the next decade or so. Yeah. Medicare is even worse because Medicare inflation is much worse. I mean, we yeah. we can decide at what rate we increase Social Security benefits. Yeah, uh, But uh, uh, within limits, we can't decide how quickly Medicare benefits uh, increase because that's a function mainly of, of how sick people get, and as yes, they get older, get very, sicker. Yeah,
0: that, uh, well, this is, the next is an unfair question to ask you or any expert, but I will anyway. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> what do you predict will be the ultimate outcome of President Trump and Republican efforts to repeal and replace Obamacare? And what do you think U.S. health insurance marketplace will look like two or three years from now? Boy, that is a really unfair question. Um, but you know,
1: I've, I've, nobody's ever accused me of you know of, of ducking these questions, so I'll i well, give it a try. Um, the uh, we the state of play right now is, of course, that there's a there's a raging debate behind the scenes in Republicans about whether they should simply repeal Obamacare yeah. before they have a replacement in place or not. And that sounds pretty obvious. Well, of course, why would you do it until you had a replacement in yeah. place? But conservatives argue that that um, you know they it unless they repeal it now, they're going to lose the political momentum they have, uh-huh. and then it'll never get repealed. And, and yeah. there's there's some justification in that line of reasoning. Yeah. Um, um, what's gonna replace it all depends upon how sensible you think this President and Congress are and I'm not really <laughs> big fans of either. Um, uh, my guess is that we will see the we will see the most um, uh, the most unpopular pieces of Obamacare like the individual mandate yeah. and like several of the taxes repealed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I can talk about which ones as you want. Um uh, my you know, my guess is that this will be done piecemeal. Um, it will not hang together in any sort of coherent way. You could argue that Obamacare didn't either. Really? Yeah, and and then
0: we'll have major. Yeah, we'll need to fix the facts in a year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, part five of your book contains a highly innovative health financing alternative, labeled health insurance revenue bonds or HIRBs, and a reform, as you call it, that sidesteps political gridlock. Such results sound too good to be true. But can you give us some very brief description of how these HIRBs would work? Yeah, sure.
1: Thank thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, Herbs, I'll call them HIRBs, or Health Insurance Revenue Bonds. These are a brainchild of my co-author, Randy Miller. Randy is a longtime insurance and public finance specialist, and it's really the core of the book. Yeah. some of your listeners may be familiar with revenue bonds. They're issued yes. by municipalities to fund projects. Yes. Uh, you can borrow money at general obligation, which just gets paid back out of general tax revenues. Yes. Or you can borrow money for a project where the project has is going to receive revenues that are pledged to service that, that bond. Yes. So you build a stadium, and then you, you, you charge tickets at the stadium. Those, you know, The ticket revenues pay back the bond. Yeah. As fundamentally, um, Miller's idea is doing that with health care. Now, what does that mean? That means that that you create a nonprofit trust, not part of the government necessarily unless you want yeah. it to be. Yeah. They issue the bonds. They collect health insurance premiums from uh, from beneficiaries. They pay claims just like insurance money would. Yeah. And because you've, you've borrowed the money and what that allows you to do is pay any transition costs to change over to a different health system than what you have now. Uh, And our view is that these should be done by states, not the federal government, And to allow states. uh, We'd love it if we had 50 different experiments going. And if Vermont wants to have... If you know, Bernie Bernie Sanders and Vermont want to have a single payer plan. Yeah. And if uh you know Sam Brownback in, in Kansas wants to have a uh, uh you know uh, wants to have no in, you know no public sector at
0: all. Yeah you know, let a hundred let fifty fires go and see what works. Well that's that's fascinating. But the, uh it's, uh you talk about adding new revenue and yet spending less in total. Where does the new revenue come from? I mean that, that that's Really? Yeah, the
1: re- new revenue would be would be premiums paid by the by patients by you and me. You know, oh, right. if we're if we're getting you know if we're members of that uh, uh, of, of that particular insurance pool. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, what happens is um, the, the upfront money, some of it gets spent on transition costs, as I mentioned before, and the rest yeah. of it basically becomes available to be used as, to slowly get used up over time. To pay to subsidize uh, to, to subsidize healthcare, yeah. and in Randy's analyses, which he's done for a state, not only does the state save save hundreds of millions of dollars over what it would otherwise, but the the individuals getting care pay for a
0: tiny fraction of the total cost. Oh, that's. That sounds great. I, you know, I don't know if it would work or not, but it certainly sounds like you put a lot. Well, of
1: well in that. the book, as, as you saw, Roy, you know, in that chapter or in that part rather, we've uh, Randy's laid out three um, example analyses where. Oh. where uh, you know, for a given state, you know, where he issues the bonds, he'd use them this way, and he lays that over, over a several-year period, yeah. how it spends the money, how it collects money, and what it ends up happening at the end. That's how I mentioned the hundreds of millions of dollars in savings. And in every case, the bonds are fully paid off. He designed it so they're paid off
0: with $1 left. Oh, I see. Well, that sounds like almost like single-payee government health care, but uh, you say it's not. Well, I,
1: and that's my point is that I mean, there you would set up a non profit trust to do all this. I see. And if you want to make that government, you can. If you want to make that, you know, I don't know. If you, if you want to make that, you know, a Trump brand, you can. I, uh, I mean, a, a, a Trump organization, not a Trump, the president brand. <laughs> uh, and and our view is, you know, let different
0: states try it different ways. Yeah. No, that's, that sounds like a great idea. Have you. Uh, presented this idea to any of the... uh, How do you ever get something like this through the federal government so that they would uh, turn it back to the states and allow this experimentation?
1: Well, neither here are lawyers, but, but our read of the law is there's very little in federal law to to inhibit this, really? um, you know, the, the key decisions are made at the state level. Yeah. And we're, we're talking with states and we're talking with legislators in several states. Mm-hmm. We've done so in our home state of Oregon. We're doing so in, oh, New, we've done in Pennsylvania. We're yeah. done, doing so in Mex- New Mexico in a couple of weeks. And uh, uh, all it's going to take is one. Uh, yeah. And we've designed it in such a way that that even if we're completely wrong and it doesn't work, uh, you know, you're, you're, uh, we, the thing is paid for itself quite quickly, uh, you know, and, you can, and
0: you can move on and try something else. Well, that's great. Well, let's talk a bit about the book you co-authored with Randy Miller, "Health Financing Without Deficits: Reform That Sidesteps Political uh, Gridlock." Is this book primarily written for uh, serious academicians or healthcare professionals, political activists, or can an average Joe like me, uh, a healthcare consumer, benefit from reading it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well i would
1: say a uh, a a uh, it was very much written for laymen, uh, um uh, you know and i, I you know, we try hard to make it quite accessible yeah um which doesn't fit well in my university He wants me to write things that are impenetrable <laughs> to anybody uh well you parish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Publish indecipherable things, or Paris, right? (laughs) Uh, uh, But, yeah, it's written for laymen. Essentially, uh, it it tries to, first of all, lay out, uh, as we were discussing earlier, uh, what the basic problems are with the health care system, how yes. Democrats and Republicans get it wrong. Yes. There's, a, there's a several chapters of sort of laying out how we got here, the history, back to Teddy Roosevelt the president, mm-hmm. including things like Hillary Care in the 90s and, yes. and, and, and the ACA. Uh, and that's all a wrapping around a large core section describing this HERB
0: health insurance revenue bond yes. program yes. and laying out examples of how it would be used. Yeah, well, that's great. um, Where best should we go to preview and purchase your book?
1: Oh, great. Um, It's published by Business Expert Press, and that's businessexpertpress.com. The title, as you said before, is Health Financing Without Deficits, or it's also available on Amazon.
0: And I understand you have a new book that you've uh, written that comes out in April on restructuring retirement portfolios. I love the name. It's The Income Stupid, The Seven Secrets to a Stress-Free Retirement. And uh, how can listeners keep in touch with you for a heads-up on when the book will be available? In, uh, yeah, great. Yeah, well,
1: first of all, just describe that briefly, Roy, and thanks for mentioning it. Uh, um, as you mentioned in my biography, you know, I have long experience advising politicians, on how to make their organization, make their states more competitive. Yeah. or uh, more prosperous. But what I've come to do of, of late is started shifting from advising politicians to advising retirement planners on how to protect their money from the politicians.
0: And that's frustrating uh, to advise someone other than a politician <laughs> on anything, I guess. No, well, we, well, I'd say no. It's more, I mean, I was I was
1: very fortunate in my career that I worked for worked for a guy I admire tremendously who always wanted to do the right thing. I mean, yeah. And what I've discovered over time is that's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. Um, so um, this book, uh, It's the Income Stupid, is essentially designed for people pretty much late in their working lives yeah. or early in retirement who um, have accumulated enough money to have a de- shot at a decent retirement, but having done a great, good job accumulating, now they have to figure out how to organize their portfolio so that it spins off a predictable uh, yeah. uh, paycheck, a virtual paycheck. To replace the one that they that they do will not have anymore.
0: Yeah, that's, and it outlines right.
1: the strategy for doing that. And to your question about how to keep in touch, uh, um, the uh, uh, we uh, if we if uh, listener contacts Herb twenty seventeen h i r b twenty seventeen at gmail dot com. Uh, yeah, that's sort of our portal uh, and. Uh, uh, for discussing the first book we mentioned, or we can, or I can, I can communicate with with listeners about, about the new book that's coming out in April.
0: Oh, I see. So they could uh,
1: go to, to h uh, i r b two h i r b twenty seventeen at yeah. g
0: n l dot com. Okay, no, that that would be a good uh, thing. To do, And um, in conclusion, I think we can all agree that uh, we hear a lot of talk, but as yet not many substantive proposals on an effective replacement for the Affordable Care Act or good old Obamacare. And for all Americans, young and old, it's of far more than passing interest. In solving the nation's health care challenge, our leaders are faced with two somewhat conflicting objectives ensure affordable, realistic coverage for all, including the poor, the elderly, and those with pre-existing conditions, and uh, on the other hand, find a way to pay for all this universal coverage without asking the young and healthy of us to pay way far more than the cost of our uh, actual health care utilization, or uh, like Medicare, Uh, you might as well call it what it is, a tax of some (laughs) some sort, Uh if you're going to do that rather than... uh, overcharge for the insurance and Obamacare may not be the answer but what is and I highly recommend you preview and purchase Philip Romero and Randy Miller's Book, Healthcare Financing or Health Financing Without Deficits, and it not only paints a solid picture of where we are today but proposes a unique herb solution, as they call it uh, health insurance revenue bonds to future funding. And thank you, for, for Professor Romero. And we'd love to have you back when your new book is released to talk about that because it certainly uh, is of a lot of interest to uh, especially the older uh, baby boomers in our audience.
1: Well, I'm an older baby boomer myself, so getting older all the time, and it was delightful, Roy. And yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to talk in much more detail about these kind of retirement planning issues. Uh, the book will be out in late, late April, so I hope we can talk then.
0: We'll be in touch then. Thank you so much, Professor. Okay. Thanks Bye-bye. for your time, Roy. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, the remainder of our program today, we're going to focus on you baby boomers. You know, the youngest of you turned 50 last year, and the oldest boomers already are eligible for Medicare. And my prior guest, Philip Romero, gave us an excellent overview of what's next for the Affordable Care Act, or good old Obamacare, as it's known, under the Trump administration. But my current guest, senior health advisor Janet Rich Pittman, is here to inform us of potential Obama. Obamacare changes that may affect health care for present and soon-to-be seniors and how those of us nearing retirement age can be ready and prepared. And more importantly, she'll discuss how every one of us, regardless of present chronological age, can ensure good health and vital brain power, as she puts it, we tiptoe into and through middle age in our senior years. And Janet Rich Pittman is a dementia prevention specialist, known affectionately as The Brain Nerd, and her stated mission is to help you and me understand how to keep our memory aid successfully and have good brain health. And she's co-founder and co-facilitator of the Alzheimer's Dementia Support Group of South Alabama. And she established the Alzheimer's Dementia Telephone Hotline of South Alabama. And she's author of the soon-to-be-released book, It's There, Five Simple Ways to Find Your Memory and Prevent It from Leaving. And hello, Janet. Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age.
2: Oh, it's so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Well, before we speculate on the future, let's talk about the recent past. When signed into law and implemented, what new Medicare benefits did seniors obtain through the Affordable Care Act?
2: Well, I tell you, seniors really did come out on the good end of the stick because, you see, not only... Where's the donut hole taken away? Now, the donut hole was the limitation on, on prescription medicines that you were able yeah. to get within a year. That was lifted, as well as preventative benefits were free, like free flu shots. Now, I don't agree with flu shots, and that can be another topic, another story. <laughs> but yeah. they were still they were still offered free flu shots, free cancer screenings, and free yeah. diabetes screenings. So so that oh, was nice. that preventative level. That was great. Yeah. Now, you know right a lot of people say negative things about regulation, and, and I agree it can be very cumbersome and detail oriented when you're dealing with regulation. But two regulations that were that were come that came through with Obamacare were not so good for doctors and hospitals, but were great for seniors. Yeah. And that was the regulation for electronic medical records. So totally. if you go to a doctor one on the first of the week and doctor two at the end of the week, doctor two would know what doctor one. Prescribed and kind of have an a, a little more of a detailed overview of your health care, yeah. so those electronic electronic records were, were were good for seniors, yeah. but you know what changes in the wind uh, with Obamacare being replaced by trump care uh, we really don't <laughs> know what's what's coming before us,
0: yeah, you know and uh... His advisors and Republican members of Congress tell us that this is a disaster and must be repealed and replaced. But as a senior health advisor, what are some of the changes you foresee specifically that could uh, impact health care for seniors? Well, and you, well,
2: right. And, and, and he is going to replace it. But the problem is with Obamacare, it can't be replaced without the approval of Congress and the Senate. So it's a big job ahead for the new administration. So what I propose is, is for for us middle-aged folks going into our senior years and seniors yeah. already is yeah. we, we can't look at, we can't stress out about these changes. But what we yeah. have to do is we have to find a full answer for our own health and happiness. We can't rely on a doctor and Medicare to make us healthy. We've, got to, we've got to look at at, understand that doctors are in it for a business. It's the business of medicine. Right, It's not the, the business to keep us well. They only treat, they only treat our symptoms, right? Yeah. They're not divine, and they can't make us healthy. They can yeah. help. They can yeah. certainly help, but we've got to change our mindset that we only ourselves are responsible for our good health. And, and, and to do that, I, I could suggest that we take away two tools that we can, that we can work on to give our doctors. Oh. And those two those two tools were to we could begin with by knowing your numbers. Now you say, no, what does that mean, know your numbers? Yeah. <laughs> that's
0: what <I> well <laughs>
2: <laughs> Well there there are a number of numbers that we need to keep aware of every year and so that's gonna be what is your blood pressure? Yeah. What is your B, what is your BMI? You know, that's your your weight based on your on your height oh. and your age. And so now as your weight goes up, your brain size, your brain function goes down. As your blood pressure goes up, the blood flow to your brain goes down and your brain starts to shrink. So we've got to keep those at optimal levels. We've got yeah. to know what our cholesterol is. We've got to know what our triglycerides are, our thyroid, testosterone. What, is, what are the markers of those? Those are the famous three, the three T's. And in addition to that, we need to know, you know, I talked about blood pressure earlier. We need to know what our hemoglobin A one C is. Now that yeah. measures our blood sugar over time. Um mm. because because if we, we have constantly high blood pressure over time that that helps kill our brain cells. So we need to work yeah. on that, make sure we our hemoglobin is in good a good level. And also our what is our vitamin D and what are our what's our ferritin? That measures our iron and our yes. and our and our, and our vit- I said I said vitamin D, didn't I? So we, these are all numbers that we need to keep aware of every year, so that we can have a baseline and know how we need to improve. Do we need to improve? How we need to improve on those numbers? What's optimal for us? Yeah. So you know, for for your listeners today, I have a free gift. If they would like to go to my website, which is www. com, I have a I have a list. Of these numbers, that that gives a little more in detail about what these numbers oh. are, and they'll be able to, to print that list and kind of understand more about the numbers, so that when they go to their doctor, they can converse with their doctor and say, "Now, what about these numbers? Where do I stand yeah. here?" So yeah. that's something that they could do. They would have to. I, I've created the Brain Health Revolution, and yeah, just if you, you will give, that. yeah, it, it's just a, a a way for me to send you quick little information. Like oh. the seven the seven triggers of Alzheimer's. You yeah. know there are three different there are three different types of Alzheimer's. What those oh. are, I talk about brain food. So I send information out to the members. It's free, of course. Yeah. Um, I send I send the information out about two or three times a month. So you have have just quick little brain information.
0: Yeah, on your uh, website you talk about brain exercising, which I thought was fascinating. And what is brain exercising, and what are its benefits?
2: Well, and brain exercising—that you know—we're going to give take have your listeners take away two tools today in dealing with the Obamacare and the new changes with the Trump Care. Yeah. And so the first, the first, the first takeaway is to know your numbers, and the second takeaway is the four ways of successful aging. And oh. one of those, wa- and one of those ways is in fact brain exercising. Yeah. And and brain exercising is not simply doing the puzzles, the crosswords, and the. The, the Sudoku work—that's good, but that yeah. only takes you so far. Brain exercising is when you physically have a mental accomplishment. Yeah. When you when you learn something new, and you can relate that. So, so it's learning something new. That's why I say we should never really retire, right? If we don't yeah. want to work full time, yeah. let's just work part time. You know, we've always got to keep that mind going. It's the well, old saying, was- boy.
0: I thought it was fascinating. On your uh, website, you offer a free download, 10 top uh, top 10 brain exercises from everyday tasks. And uh, we don't have time to go into those, but, you know, there's things like eating your food left-handed, unless you're Why? left-hander, then you eat it with the right hand. But uh, Or, uh, you know, eat breakfast with a complex, uh, carbohydrates and protein and... Uh, Use GPS only if you get lost. I like that one.
1: <laughs> well, good! All these,
0: all these exercises that uh, you know in your everyday living you can do and uh, and uh, prevent that brain deterioration or all those other awful things that we talk about. That, uh,
2: and and you get you will get those brain exercises when you join the brain when you join the brain health revolution. So absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about your upcoming book. It's there. Five simple ways to find your memory and prevent it from leaving. Is this a uh, scientific treatise, or is it more a kind of a workbook for uh, laymen, laypersons like <laughs> most of us out there that aren't uh, physicians or anything like that? What? Uh,
2: well, what's ne- neither. It's kind <laughs> of a different a different approach. Yes. Oh. It's, you know, I got to writing this nonfiction book, and I thought, you know, this is so boring. I mean, who is going to really get into this and really want to know it? And yeah. so I just got to thinking. And so what I've done is I've created a, a, a fictitious story, and, and unfortunately it is based on true experience. Yeah. But it's a, it's a fictitious story about a woman who is losing her mind, and really? and, what she, and what she does. Are the tools she needs to get her memory back. So it's okay. nonfiction within a fiction book.
0: Yeah, so that's it's, the, they say the best way to learn something is to hear a story, so I <laughs> thoroughly endorse that approach.
2: And, and then, in addition, not only do you just get the book, but but there's there're five five volumes and uh, five sections, I guess you could say. Yeah, and with each yeah. section, with each section, you get a bonus. You get a takeaway list. Checklist that you can you can have with you. So, oh. so yes, it's going it's going to be it's a, a, a neat, different, unique way of getting the word out on how to have good brain health.
0: And when when I know it's not precise, but when should we expect that book would be coming out? And how do we keep in touch to, uh, to so we will be aware when it is out and we can get a hold of it because it sounds yes. great.
2: Well, thanks. Yes, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it coming out in April of April. And so if you will join the Brain Health Revolution, I will certainly send out a memo to everyone. and Let them know when it's going to be when it when it's coming out, when it will yeah. be
0: released. Yeah, that that's I would highly recommend and the cost is right. <laughs> and we'll also uh want to have Jane uh, back in April or thereabouts when the book comes out so we can talk about it in much greater detail because it's certainly something that uh will benefit all of us as we go through middle age and uh, even into the senior years. In conclusion, the older we get, the more important it is to learn about ways to age gracefully. And all of us want to be here for our families and our mind and our body as long as possible. And there's a sad fact of life. Once you're diagnosed and get into the final stages of dementia, there's no turning back. But the good news is dementia is a disease, not a normal part of aging. It can be prevented, and if... uh If it is, we can get our memory back. There's no reason we have to lose that as we get older. And right now in middle age is the time to begin controlling your health and exercising your brain. And to get started, I highly recommend Janet Rich Pittman's Brain Nerd website and join her brain health revolution. It's free. And thank you so much, Janet, uh, for joining us today.
2: It was a pleasure to be with you, Roy.
0: And as I said, we'd love to have you back to tell us more about your book once it's published and out there. And now whatever the Trump administration has in mind for a senior health care, let's all avoid those senior moments and brain accidents beginning today. Go out and uh, let's take care of our health. And keep those numbers in check as uh, Jane was talking about and exercise your brain. And talk to you soon on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age.